0: Let me read to you from John this morning, and we'll jump in. Uh, it's a really good morning this morning. Uh, if you're not uh, new to, sorry, if you're new to church and you're not familiar with the Christian story, uh, Easter Sunday is the biggest Sunday of the year. Apologies that it couldn't have been a little more glorious, uh, and uh, the weather really hasn't done its part. But Easter Sunday, this is the this is the Sunday of the year, right? This is the biggest Sunday of the year for the church. If not externally, then internally. And let that, be, let that be true in your hearts this morning. This, this is the morning. So John, uh, I'm going to read to you from John 20 this morning. Uh, verses, uh, I don't actually have verse divisions in this Bible, but I, I think it's uh, verse 19. You, you'll, you'll pick it up. Uh, this is John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are, written, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What would it look like if we truly believed that everything was being created new, that all things were being made new. That's what, that's what we're going to consider this morning together. Uh, let's, let's start by having a little look at uh, this passage and, and the context of what's happening here. Uh, John uh, wrote this uh, letter, the, the Apostle John, he wrote uh, a few other books as well. He wrote the book of Revelation and a few other Johns in the New Testament. Uh, what's happening here, uh, as is, uh, what's happening here is what happens often in scripture. The author uses literary devices to help communicate more than one thing at once. So, when you were in high school, you wrote an essay and you were taught to write A, and then B, and then C equals conclusion. That's not really the way that most of these uh, books and letters are written in in the Bible. Uh, there's often literary devices that help to, to paint multiple layers within a text to communicate a, a much more meaningful uh, uh, message. So if we have a quick look here, uh, just another quick look through the text through John here and, and try and pick up some of these devices that give us signals for what John's trying to do. So at one level, there's, there's a the practical experience here, right? There's a meeting with the disciples... Uh, in, a, in a locked room, uh, and Jesus comes uh, and, and, and appears to them and says, Peace be with you, rightly so, like peace, because they're freaking out. And he shows them, it's actually me. Uh, now go, uh, we're on a mission, now go get amongst it. So, but let, let's just have a quick look through the text here. There's a repetition, if you notice in John 20, there's a repetition. The first day of the week. That said, if you look, if, you're, if you've got your Bible open, jump back up to verse 1. He says it, now it was the first day of the week. Again, here at the start of this verse, verse 19, the first day of the week. And later on, they use the repetition again. So there's something about, there's a little cue there for us, the first day of the week. Let's have a look again. Uh, Christ comes, so the resurrected Christ. That's obviously a, a fairly significant piece of this story. Uh, the new creation comes to be with his disciples. He breathes on them, right? There's a, there's a breathing thing. There's a little bit of a cue there. What the heck? Like, like why would you, what, what are you doing? You know, Jesus, what are you doing? Uh, this is unusual. Uh, you haven't breathed on us before, uh, as far as we remember. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, he gives them this mandate. He delivers, he delivers this creation mandate. This scene, what John's trying to do here with this scene is he's mirroring the garden, the, the creation scene in Genesis. And let, let me um, maybe create some connections for you. This scene I want, I want to establish, and you can have a look for yourself. This scene is about contrasting the first creation with the new creation. So what's happening here, Jesus, the new creation, right? The resurrected body of Christ, The new creation comes to be amongst his people. Just as God came, he created, God created, and then came to be among his people. And as he forms the man, what does he do to Adam? When he forms him, he breathes on him, the spirit, Ruach. He breathes on Adam, he creates him. In the same way, Jesus, the new creation, comes to be with his people and he breathes on them. And then what does God do in the garden? He gives them a mandate. Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, bring about my rule and reign reign through all of creation. What does Jesus do? He breathed on them. He says, peace be with you a couple of times because they're panicked, right? But then he says, just as I was sent, now I'm sending you. Now go, right? And there's a mirroring that we can clearly see here between the garden and the first creation and the new creation. Now, what significance does this have? How does this change how we view the resurrection? What does it mean for us? You know, the problem is that I think most of us, or all of us here today, we live in the middle of the story. And and, and for us, we're plagued with uncertainty about God's power to really make things new again. You know, we live... At the moment, we live amongst trouble. We live surrounded by sickness and death. Right? We live in the middle of it. If you're not there right now, you will be. Like, give it six months. Honestly, I assure you, you're going to experience sickness, sorrow, and death. And that's the world at the moment. We live amongst that kind of world. And we hear, year in and year out, right? We hear about the power of the resurrection to give us new life. But we don't really know what that means. What does new life mean? What is it? Because it still looks like death all around me. And in most, in most Christian traditions, the perception is that Christ died and rose again to secure us a place in heaven away from all this mess. Right? Right? Hallelujah, there's a new, there's new life for us in heaven after all of this. And, and the implications that that has for this right now is at best we persevere, right? Stay strong, we endure, we do it with a smile. Yes, life can be a joy, but either because we have terribly low expectations of what new life means, or because the things that we view as non-Christian cheer us up along the way like a, a delicious bottle of red wine, right? It's a temporary joy <laughs> and that's all it is. To us, the physical reality seems only corruptible. It's good while it lasts, right? These knees, they're good while they last and then they'll blow out and I'll never hike again, right? That's the perspective we have. The physical world is simply corruptible. And we get to endure. We enjoy enjoy it while we're young. And then we hit our 30s and life smacks us in the face. And our body starts doing things that we didn't expect. The, the, uh, The older half of the church understood and the younger half are like, yeah, right, man. It's not happening to me. I take a lot of fish oil, thank you very much. And I tell you, ignorance is bliss. Just enjoy it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, that's what I get um, for making a joke. Uh, Look, there's a few problems with that perception. What's the problem? What's the problem with the perception that uh, one day God uh, will take us away to heaven and we'll be done with this mess? And the physical is just corruptible. It's broken. The problem is, well, there's not really much hope for today. What do we have to get by? Where does this leave us now? Just... Enduring, just sticking it out. And, and the second problem is well, and more importantly, it doesn't actually fit within the narrative of Scripture. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem for us to cling to some sort of false reality that isn't actually grounded in the truth of Scripture, right? That's not going to work. It's not going to cut it. So I want to consider with you the start and the end. Of Scripture. Let's consider, well, what is the actual picture of Scripture? What's happening and how does that picture help us to understand this scene in John? Just quickly, whirlwind tour here. Genesis 1, the start of the Bible, God creates a garden, right? God plants a garden and in this garden, he, he puts the man and the woman and he gives them a creation mandate, right? Be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. Image me in the garden. Image me in my rule, in my creativity, in the way that you bring order to the chaos around you. Rule and reign on my behalf. And the last chapters, let's go straight to the end. What do we see in the last chapters of the Bible? Revelation 21, Revelation 22. Yes, granted, the book of Revelation is rather... Mysterious and quite poetic and very symbolic, but what do we see right at the end? We see a new city and a new garden. Right? You jump to Genesis uh, to Revelation twenty-two, and what are you going to see? You're going to hear about this river that reflects the the very first river, right? That was in the Garden of Eden and will be in, in in the new garden to come. And there's a new city, and the city is the people of God and God dwelling with His people. Right? Genesis. God dwelling amongst his people, them reigning and ruling on his behalf. Revelation, God dwelling amongst his people, right? My people are my dwelling place now, a new garden, his people ruling and reigning on his behalf. What? Like, that's not the picture that I had in my mind. That's the story of the Bible. What happened? In the beginning, God commissioned us to rule with him and we decided that we would rather rule on our own. No thanks. I, I would rather rule on my terms. And we betrayed God, we abandoned Him, and God never gave up on us. The story of the Bible is God continuing to commit to His people. Throughout the story of Scripture, right, you just see over and over again, God committing to His redemptive plan for humanity. After a long string of prophets, priests, and kings, because we don't have time to pause there, you know, they get partway there, he sends his son. He sends Jesus, who at the beginning of his ministry, what does he start with? At the beginning of his ministry, he starts announcing this kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? Repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. His first words as he entered ministry, it's arriving, God is establishing his kingdom, which is his rule and his reign on earth in order to bring about the renewal, the restoration of all things. What do we do? Well, we didn't like that either. So we killed him. We put him to death. We don't want to do things your way. We would rather do them our way on our terms. So he's put in a tomb and three days later he resurrects to new life. And this is this scene. He comes back and he visits his disciples. He sends his disciples, go and proclaim God's restorative rule and reign among the earth. Heaven and earth are colliding. What happens? The church explodes into existence, right? We today, 2,000 years later, are a part of that movement. And now right at the end, again, let's just skip to the end. John picks up on this in Revelation. What does it look like at the end? The people of God reunited with God in a new garden as a new city, ruling and reigning with God in his new creation. That is the whole story. A new garden where God's people rule on his behalf over creation. Right? Can you, can you see? It's like, alright, there's the, the start and the end, and we're right in the middle here. The turning point, John 20, this is the turning point. It all begins with Christ. Christ is the beginning of new creation. The firstborn from among the dead. So Christ, this scene in John 20, the resurrection, is the pivotal moment in the story. Right? This is the pivotal moment. We tried. The Old Testament is the story of God's continual commitment to his people and their continual failing. And then Christ comes and he succeeds. And he's resurrected and he is the new creation, the firstborn. What hope does this offer us today? What's the hope? Or, or, or what, uh, how do we live differently in light of this story, because this is a different story, right? The ending is, is, uh, is quite different, and a lot of us, at the moment, live with the hope of this uh, far-off uh, reality, this far-off heaven reunited with God, right? And it influences how we live today, how we treat each other, how we treat uh, the earth, how we are stewards, how, how we multiply. It affects our very day-to-day lives. So it's really important for us to actually consider what hope does this have for us today? How does this change the way we live as God's people? If we look at John again, why make a point to show the disciples his wounds? Like, why make a point of that? Like why have Thomas place his hand into his side? Like, what's that about? Christ is pointing to the new physical creation. I, want, I don't want you to miss that, that Christ, when he appears in this room with the disciples, he is a new physical creation. He is the new creation. So again, think about the implications this has. This is not souls in the clouds floating away in heaven, right? This, this isn't that picture that is so often perpetuated. This is a new physical body. Put your hands in my side. I am a physical body. In another gospel account, he eats fish. He's eating food. What, what is the point of that? Christ is pointing to a new physical reality. Flesh and blood made new, ruling and reigning. It's the garden again. What is he saying? He's saying, this world, this physical, tangible world, I'm not done with it. I'm only just getting started. I've begun a new creation work through my resurrection. Think about it this way. The resurrection isn't a happy ending to the crucifixion, but it's a happy beginning. That's what Christ is saying. He's saying, life is just beginning. New creation is just beginning beginning heaven is coming to earth the circles the overlap right the overlap of heaven and earth those, those circles are drawing closer and in the end they'll be together and today Christ comes to us and invites us to look at the story of scripture and to believe to believe that he is making all things new that his work has begun, that heaven and earth collided in his arrival and are continuing to collide through the lives of the saints. What does it mean? Again, what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to come down? What does it mean for the new creation to have been begun? Well, if it's true, if this is true, if what I'm saying is true, if Christ is making all things new, and making all new things that his kingdom is being established that when he returns he'll bring it to fruition then we are then we are tasked with beginning this work today it's our responsibility it's our calling to bring about the restorative rule and reign of Christ to our relationships communities streets let me, let me make a, a comparison here for you. We know that Christ will one day rid us of all of our sin and restore us, right? He'll make us perfect. But does that mean that today we sit around in our sin and wait? Well, no, not, that's ridiculous, right? No, of course, not at all. <laughs> no, it compels us to partner with him in his sanctifying work in the meantime We respond with obedience, right? With submission, with humility, with repentance. Knowing that Christ will one day make us perfect, we begin today, right? We don't sit around and wait. Well, my sin's fine then. If Christ is going to be done with it all, if he's going to make me new, if he's going to wash me clean, then today I guess I sit around and wait, right? No, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would be ridiculous. Now, in the same manner, Christ will one day make all things new. Does that mean we sit around in the mess and wait? No, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It compels us to partner with him in his, rest, in his restorative and renewing work today, in the meantime, right? How ridiculous would it be for us to say, well, this earth, is, it's, it's done. We just we're, Forget about this mess. We'll just wait for the new one, thanks no it compels us to partner with him today if you've ever struggled with your calling let me let me clear it up for you we have a calling to partner with Christ in his work of renewal throughout the world to bring order to chaos Is there any chaos in your life at the moment To bring a little order to that chaos. To bring love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. To bear on the lives of those around you. To lift up the lowly. To strengthen the weak. To carry the broken. To bring justice. To restore things as they ought to be. To partner with Christ in his work of renewal. To, to image God in his self-sacrificial love for the good of those around you. That's the call. That's, that's the, the Easter Sunday Christ as new life. That is the call to you. Is to bring order. To bring about God's kingdom. God's new creation in the lives of those around you now. Today. What could that renewal look like? What could that look like? Right? You, you have this life that you live that, that seems to be so separate and so apart from your Christian calling, right? You work this ordinary job with this ordinary family, right? And these responsibilities, and this money, and these tests and challenges. And it just at times seems to be so disconnected to this Christian story. Do you know what this means? Can you imagine eternity just like today? Where you, where you work, where you steward the gifts and the abilities that God has given you in a new earth as a new person forever. Can you imagine that? I hope you can, because that's, that's what it's going to be, right? A new created world where God's people rule and reign with Him over all of creation. What are we doing? We're not just singing the whole time, okay? <laughs> right? We do. There's a, there's a few songs in Revelation. We sing a bit. But what are we doing? We're ruling and reigning with Christ over the new creation. We're getting to it. We're working. We're being fruitful. We're exercising dominion. We're ruling and reigning. We're extending the kingdom in a new creation. So, you, heck, you can have a job just like what you have now. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. But I, I, and, of course, what do you mean, Matt? Do we, do we still work for money? No, but you exercise your gifts and abilities. God created you. He created you a particular way, right, with particular abilities, Do you think that's all just for nothing? Do you think that's just, well, we'll do away with all of that and you'll be a soul floating in the clouds? No, God will recreate you and you'll get about it in the new world. So what could it look like? What could renewal look like right now? How could we get about it today? Well, there's a a bunch of areas that need a bit of renewal, isn't there? Like the arts, right? Please. Someone, like, if you're in the arts, could you please get busy? Like, could you get about it? Because who knows that we need a bit of renewal there. Like, I haven't heard a good song. <laughs> I feel like I hear one good song every quarter, right? And that's about it. The arts would be great. Education, right? Some education, renewal, that would be really good. Right? In, in, in helping us to think more broadly and more thoughtfully about our lives, about the world, about what really matters. Who knows? We need some renewal there. Health, right? About our health, about our bodies, about the fact that the physical isn't going away anytime soon. It's being renewed. It's being restored. Renewal of our policies, right? I mean, I'm the last person to put my hand up for that, and probably most of us are, but who knows that some renewal in our policies would be... I mean, that would do a lot. That would do a lot for our communities, for our society. We need renewal in our communities. What could that look like? What could renewal look like in your community? How does this... Lastly, let, let, me, um, let me land here with us. How does this renewal happen? If God is... is renewing all things, if Christ is the beginning, if the resurrection is the beginning of new creation, how does this renewal happen? Well, let's look to the, let's look to the story of Christ. How did his renewal happen? Through death, right? Through suffering, through trouble. So for us, for God's people, how is renewal going to happen? Well, More often than not, it's going to happen through weakness, through suffering, through trouble. That's the upside-down kingdom, isn't it? That's the kingdom that Christ came preaching. And not only that, that's the story of the Bible. Isn't the story of the Bible God using weakness to rule? Like, Isn't that what you pick up the whole way through the Bible, that God doesn't come... More often than not, God doesn't come in strength. God comes in weakness. Genesis. Weak, dependent, needy humans rule my world. What? Like, Are you sure about that? Like, I mean, there's some other ways that you could do that. Rule my world. Look at the, the characters throughout the Old Testament. Abram, Moses, Joseph... David, the people that uses, uh, God uses to, to rule and reign. He rules through weakness. The, 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 the message of Psalm 8. It's babies. It's babbling babies overcoming the enemy. Look at Christ. How did Christ rule? How did Christ rule, right? That's the story of Christmas. He comes in humility. He comes in quietness. And he rules ultimately through the greatest act of self-sacrificial love. Look at the disciples. Persecution. Floggings. Opposition. Driven out of town. Thrown in jail. Killed. <laughs> what a victory. Hey, like, wow, that's fantastic. This is the kingdom of God. It's, it's life through death. It's renewal through suffering. Unless a, a, a grain, unless a seed falls to the ground and is tenderly cared for and watered. <laughs> no, <laughs> nope, that's not it. <laughs> right? Unless a seed falls to the ground and is, is encouraged deeply and uplifted. No, right? Unless you die. You'll never know life.